Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC 287. I don't know if you want to call it the rematch or the quadrilogy, but either way, Alex Pereira, Poatan, is rematching Israel Adesanya for the second time in MMA and for the fourth time in combat sports. So this should be unbelievable. And guys, it's going down this Saturday night live in Miami, Florida from the Miami Dade Arena. Is it Miami Dade or Miami Dade? You know what I'm saying? But either way, y'all know exactly what we're tuning in for. And guys, it's this is one of the most unique rematches, trilogies, quadrilogies, just rivalries in the history of the sport for a variety of reasons because it's like Izzy's like winning all these fights until he's not, right? Right. So we know he's got the skills to win this fight. It's just there's a lot of psychological components, knowing you've lost to this man three times. You've been stopped by this man twice. And it's not like one of those things where, you know, the dude was just outclassing you. The dude was just way better than you. The dude, You know, he just blew you out the water and this and that. It was like a case where it's like Izzy was damn competitive was winning rounds in all these fights and like there is a path to victory for israel adesanya here so without further ado we're going to break down the entire car starting with the main event all the way down to the first prelim y'all smash the like button for me hit the subscribe button for me when this is done leave me a comment and let's get down let's get down the business because in the main event for the middleweight belt we got the champ alex poatan Pereira. He's seven and one representing Brazil, taking on Israel Adesanya, who's 23 and two, repping Nigeria and New Zealand. Now, before I mention the odds, I had to look up what Poatan meant because, you know, I, I did the little uh, Google Translate, right? You know, trying to change it from, you know, well, how does it translate from Portuguese to English? And I typed in Poatan, they didn't have anything for me. So then I go to my uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu professor. I was like, hey, man. What does Poatan mean in Portuguese? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> my boy was born in Brazil. He doesn't know. So I asked two of my Brazilian teammates, and they were able to give me an answer. And basically what they said was Poatan means hands of stone in, in uh, Alex's indigenous language. You know, he's part of a badass tribe, this and that. So they call him Poatan over there, which means hands of stone. And that's a very fitting nickname if you know anything about this man's just nuclear uh left hook i mean we're talking about world war three coming up man and i mean uh i feel like alex Pereira's left hook could be a prime weapon in uh you know hopefully that never happens but anyways main event of the evening you guys know their records you guys know who they are currently they got it israel adesanya minus 135 the comeback on Alex Pereira is plus 115. So this is really intriguing for a lot of reasons because this is literally one of those fights where I can make a solid case for both guys. Like I can make a legitimate argument for both guys winning this fight, and I can sound confident on both sides. Listen, if I'm going to make the Izzy Adesanya argument, you know my guy Oscar, uh, my guy Leo's over here. Trying to make, trying to put on a show. He stole my shoe. Now he's trying to show off that he stole my shoe. But the reason that you can make an argument for both these guys winning this fight, and you can make that argument confidently from the Izzy side of things, um, I believe if you're betting Izzy, you're going to be saying stuff like this. Well, listen, last time 
he was minus 200. He was minus 250. So not only are we getting a discount on Izzy this time, being that he's only minus 135, this is the lowest price Israel's ever been in his UFC career. But then you're also going to mention how, look, in the first fight, a lot of people thought Izzy won, maybe got robbed. Second fight, Izzy was putting it on Alex, and then he got slipped. Third fight, I mean, on the judges' scorecards, it was, you know, 3-1 Izzy going into the fifth, um, and Poatan pulled it out. But I feel like this last fight, man, the, the MMA one they had, like, we talk about how, okay, well, if Alex didn't tee off on him at the end, Izzy was going to win that decision and this and that. But, like, it's so easy to sit here and say stuff like, well, all Izzy has to do is just avoid these power shots, and, and, and he comes out here and wins this fight. And I'm just not convinced it's that simple. Like, for example, okay, so let's let's go back to round one of uh, the, the UFC fight they had, right? And all anyone remembers from, the, from round one was the end of round one, right? The end of round one when – at the right at the belt, Izzy hit him with a nasty. It was a straight right followed by a left hook. Had had him, you know, on a a street that I don't know the name of, right? You know what I'm saying? And but here's the thing: up until that point, that was a close ass round, man. That was a round that could have gone either way. Like I don't definitively think that Izzy was winning that first round until until he almost knocked him out with like 10 seconds left. And again, that's not to say that he wouldn't have gone a 10-9 regardless or this or that, but I'm just saying that like it's it was a competitive first round up until then. Second round, super competitive as well. Alex closes it off with a nice takedown, which we didn't expect. We didn't expect Alex to go for takedowns on Izzy, caught him with that element of surprise and, you know, sealed off a very close round with a big end. So the first two rounds have a lot of commonalities. They're super, super close up until the very end. First round, uh, Izzy rocks Alex. Second round, Alex takes down Izzy. So it's 1-1 going to the third. Now, here's the common misconception, because I hear people talking about how, well, I mean, all, the adjustment Izzy needs to make is he just needs to come out here and ju just take him down. It's that simple. Just take him down, right? And I don't think it's that simple, and I'll tell you why. Because let's look, let's examine the actual techniques that took place when Izzy took down uh, Alex in that third round. So what actually happened was, so they get caught up in the clinch, and Alex actually tries to go for a little uh, cheeky uh, throw, kind of like a hip toss, a judo throw. I'm not exactly sure what he was trying to do, but he was trying to go for some kind of cheeky throw. And Izzy had the body lock. So he just used his momentum against him and got him down on the ground. Now from there, it was so from there, I want to bring this up before I talk about how, you know, Izzy definitely dominated that third round on the ground. But before I talk about that, you know how these guys are like super high level kickboxers, right? When you watch these guys strike, it's the top of the top in MMA as far as how good someone can be. When, you know, what kind of level someone can reach when it comes to the striking realm of things. And you already know that Izzy and Alex are the two best strikers in MMA. So every time they were striking, it, it was a chess match. It was beautiful. It was technical. It was, you know, a game of inches. It was, a like I said, a chess match. It was, it, there were mind games going, feints, this and that. All right. But then when it came down to the grappling, it was pretty funny because, okay, you know, it's easy to sit here and say that, like, 
you know, it, it was kind of lower level grappling, but it's not lower level grappling compared to the average man. I mean, we were still dealing with, you know, a purple belt versus a brown belt in there. But the reason why it's, it, you know, aesthetically, it looked a lot lower level is because the, the you know, the heights that these guys are on kickboxing wise is like, you know, multiple degree black belts in jujitsu terms. Right. So when you go from, you know, black belt level kickboxing to you know purple and brown belt uh, level grappling that's why it was kind of funny to watch them because like in the ufc like guys we're used to scrambles between sarukian and gamrot we're used to scrambles between benil dariush and gamrot right that's what high level grappling looks like um in the ufc you know two black belts a, a you know a credential uh, wrestler this and that right so when you saw Alex and Izzy grappling, you know, it was a, it was lower level for the standards that we're used to in the UFC. It wasn't lower level in terms of like, like I said, it wasn't like two white belts grappling. It was a brown belt and a purple belt. And, you know, Alex is out there. Um, he, all, he, all, he gets back up and then he's, you know, and then he's rolling for leg locks and this and that. He actually got his brown belt after the fight, um, which people think is funny, but I actually like the reasoning of his coach. I mean, jujitsu is about survival. You survive the bad spots. You attempted a submission. You got a takedown. Like, hey, and you won the UFC belt. Here's your brown belt, my boy. You know, so that was pretty cool to see. But yeah, um, just the difference in level between their grappling and their striking was was pretty amusing to watch. Um, and that's not disrespect. You know, I'm, I'm just a purple belt, but I'm saying like, uh, you know, when you, like I said, when you're watching like Carlos Diego Ferreira and Gregor Gillespie, right? Like that is high level grappling at the UFC level. So that being said, the reason I'm bringing up the grappling is because I hear a lot of people talking about how, well, hey, Izzy just has to make this adjustment, come out here and, and get uh, Alex down to the ground. And the reason why I don't think it's going to be that simple is because this, every single time that Izzy try to go for a single leg or a double leg, you know, traditional uh, wrestling takedowns, it got stuffed every single time. Alex stuffed those takedowns, man. But the one that he did not stuff was actually, you know, initiated by Alex. Alex tried to go for some cheeky throw. Izzy got the body lock, reversed him uh, beautifully, and then held him down for the duration of that round. So third round, another one we give to Izzy, right? Fourth round was another one of those rounds that... It was fucking close, man. That fourth round was close. That four, I, I slightly edged Izzy, but it was a competitive ass round. So then we go into the fifth. You got Alex's corner telling him, like, dude, like, you got to put this guy away. And it wasn't even like the Leon Edwards fight versus Usman, you know, the head kick one where, like, in between rounds, like, don't let him bully you, son. And, you know, all that stuff. Like, like, what, what was his uh, coach saying to him? Like, like, stop feeling sorry for yourself and all this stuff. You know, you didn't have to give him a speech like that. He just basically had to tell him, like, Izzy uh, or Alex, like, you need to go out there and become the champ right now. Like, they weren't panicking or anything, but they let him know very firmly that, like, hey, uh, step on the gas pedal, go out there and get this guy out of there. And, and that's what he was able to do. Now, whether you consider that an early stoppage or not, look, Izzy was 100% rocked. Like, we cannot debate that. Could they have let it go on a little bit longer? My opinion, yes. But that doesn't take away from Alex's amazing win because Alex felt the sense of urgency. He went right after him. He had him wobbling all over the place. And in my opinion, had Mark Goddard let it go on a little longer, he would have got the finish. But let me also say this. What's interesting is that 
Goddard was also the ref when Izzy fought Kelvin Gastelum in Atlanta, Georgia, right? At UFC 236. And if you watch that fifth round, like Mark Goddard was letting uh, Kelvin Gastelum get dropped time after time after time. And he wasn't stopping that fight. Whereas with Izzy, he stopped it standing. So kind of makes you question a little bit like, you know, like, like what's the, what's the deal, man? Like why, why does this guy get a little bit more rope and this guy not, but I'm not going to debate that Izzy was rocked and was pretty fucking close to going down. It's just, you know, there wasn't a knockdown there, you know? Uh, so I think they could have let it go on a little bit longer, but still a legit stoppage. I mean, he still had him hurt. He still went for it. He still did exactly what he needed to do. Bite down on that mouthpiece and go right after him and get him out of there. And that's what he did. So respect to him. So now it, it comes down to this, in my opinion, because like the skills are so high level on both ends that both guys can win this fight. Like, that, that goes without saying. I can talk about, you know, who's going to damage whose peroneal nerve first with the calf kicks or who can land to the chin first and this and that. We, we, don't, we don't fucking know. But the thing I think is more important in this fight is the psychology between the fighters. Like, what kind of mental edge are we dealing with here with Alex Pereira over Izzy? Because historically speaking, when champs lose their belt um, in the immediate rematch, they lose that immediate rematch over 70% of the time. Now, I said 70%. I didn't say 100% because there are exceptions, whether it was Stipe, whether it was Amanda Nunes. There's been exceptions. And I'm not talking about guys that, you know, got their belt stripped or vacated due to injury. I'm talking about people that lost the fight, you know, fair and square, lost their belt, and then came back for an immediate rematch. They tend not to do as well. And then more narrative talk, one of Izzy's coaches was caught on record saying, Hey, maybe, maybe we should have taken a little bit more time before we just jump right back in there. But that being said, you say that about Izzy, you know, coming off the loss, where's your confidence, this and that. What we can say about Alex is this is the biggest middleweight I have ever seen. And thank God he's as disciplined as he is. Thank God he's as locked in because otherwise there's no way in hell this guy would be making 185. And even with how, you know, on top of his game he is, I hear this guy is just, like, you know, first guy in the gym, last guy out on top of everything, just lives and breathes this shit. So, you know, I don't think that him missing weight would be a, a case of, oh, Alex decided to eat a slice of pizza on fight. We or any bullshit or Alex skipped his runs. No, it would just come down to like him outgrowing the weight class. So that's what I would kind of be, you know, worried about whether it's this fight, whether it's going forward, how many more fights, how many more times can Alex make this grueling weight cut? Because that is a big boy. Because, I mean, like, look, they list them both at 6'4", but between you and me, Alex is like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He is definitely the larger man in there. And, uh, yeah, I'm just curious to see what kind of a toll these weight cuts are going to have on Alex. And then with Izzy, where's the confidence at? Because... Of course, he's going to have successful moments in this fight. I mean, we're talking about a guy, some of the best footwork, some of the best feints. Um, just the, his brain is just on a different level. This is a very intelligent fighter. Um, but when you talk about those ad adjustments and people talk about how, oh, he just has to fight a perfect fight and, and, and this and that, it's like, I don't think he has, like, fight, saying he has to fight a perfect fight implies that Alex Pereira can only win this fight by knockout, right? I don't think he has to fight a perfect fight to win, man. I think that either of these guys can come out here and win a decision 
I think either of these guys can come out here and knock each other out. Izzy almost knocked him out at the end of the first round. Alex almost knocked him out at the end of the fifth round. It, it was considered a TKO, but I'm saying, I'm saying actually knockout. Like, you know, someone drops and goes to sleep, right? Not one where even if we thought it was a legit stoppage, you know, there was still a little wiggle room. Like, let the guy go down, right? So, like, I know that both guys can hurt each other. I know that both guys can chop each other down with the legs. I know that both guys can have success on the mat if they're on top. So this is an amazing matchup. So to me, you know, fuck the semantics, fuck the, you know, uh, you know, easy to talk about. Well, if Alex doesn't land his left hook and Pereira, blah, 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 like, like stop, stop all that. I'm thinking more psychological when, when it comes to a matchup like this, man. I'm, I'm starting to think like who's got the mental edge. And I think it is Pereira. Um, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, you also think about it from this standpoint, Izzy comes out here and beats Pereira and guess what? They're running it back. And guess what? That'll be one of the biggest trilogies in the history of the sport. If, if Izzy wins this fight, they give Alec, they give Alex, uh, an immediate rematch. I mean, that that's going to be history right there, man. So I think that, you know, as long as there's not some fluke injury, some, I mean, I think like no matter what, as long as it's not some bullshit, like where, you know, a torn ACL or like whatever, um, there's a good chance we see him running back again, unless Alex makes it definitive this time. Right. Like, uh, if this is like a controversial split decision for Alex, don't be surprised if they run it back. Right. Like, uh, if people think it's an early stoppage, don't, don't be surprised if they run it back. So that, that's what I got to say regarding that, but it's just such a hard fight to call because Izzy can absolutely win this fight. Izzy's won moments versus Alex in all three fights. Alex has won moments versus Izzy in all three fights. So, and then this is one of those fights where it really comes down to like, well, you know, if they fight 10 times, what, what happens? Right. Because like, usually like, yeah, I, I like to cap my fights and I like to, you know, give my line. How many times do I think, you know, I think a guy beats him six out of 10 times. So minus 150, right. Just saying for argument's sake, but you know, usually they only run it one time. So you don't have to have that conversation. Whereas here, this is literally the fourth time they're running it. Like, like, so we're getting into the territory where like Izzy can, can steal one, you know what I'm saying? Um, so my pick is going to be Alex and it's just, I'm not confident. But then again, when I'm not confident, like I, I tend to lean towards the dog plus the history of, you know, the long reigning champion uh, losing their belt, coming back in the immediate rematch over 70% of the time they lose that fight. And it hasn't been that long since it happened. So, and when I say that, you know, that's more psychological, uh, you know, that's more negative uh, on the psychological side for Izzy. And it's more negative on the weight cut side for Alex. So I cannot wait. This is an amazing fight. I'm going to pick Alex, but you know, let's see. I can't sit here and act surprised if a guy on the caliber of Izzy makes the right adjustments and comes out here and wins. I cannot be surprised by that. But you know, Alex, you know, there's a famous quote by Teddy Atlas talking about how, you know, these champs level up 30% after they win the belt. I want to see, and, and it's, and it's a confidence thing. It's like, you feel like, you know, before you won the belt, you're, you're trying to prove like, am I really that guy now that he knows he's that guy? I mean, confidence has to be sky high. So, 
Yeah, I cannot wait to see their press conference, see what kind of mind games they're playing with each other, and ultimately the fight Saturday night. I think it's going to be epic. I think it's going to be one of the best fights in middleweight history. And another thing we got to take into consideration is that like oftentimes with these rematches, the fights don't often go the same. Like just because it almost went all five rounds last time, that doesn't mean it's going to get to the second round this time. Like for example, y'all remember when Machida and Shogun had that that five round war? A lot of people thought Shogun won, right? They rematch for the title. Shogun knocks him out in the first round, <laughs> like like it's nothing, right? And I can name you endless amounts of examples of that kind of shit happening. Whether it was Benson Henderson um versus anthony pettis right they had the three round the, the five round war anthony pettis jumps off the cage kicks his head in the fifth row um kicks his head yeah in the fifth round kicks his head into the fifth row right and then they rematch in the ufc for the belt again and anthony arm bars him in round one um you can look at pettis and cerrone right First time body kick knockout in round one. Second time close controversial decision. Look at Wiley and Joanna. First time five round war. Second time destruction spinning back fist knockout. So I'm just saying no two fights, no four fights are created equally. So, man, I cannot wait to see how this one goes down. I'm going to lean with Alex. So let's see. Co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We got Gilbert Durinho Burns. He's 21 and five taking on Jorge Gamebred Masvidal who's 35 and 16 and currently they got it gilbert durino minus 470 the comeback on jorge gamber and masvidal is plus 375 so i mean dude a couple of years ago you're jumping all over those, those jorge odds like no questions asked and i feel like man this could be jorge masvidal's last fight man i mean what better way to go out than in miami i, I know he's got his delusions of grandeur and he wants to come out and knock out burns which i'm not saying can't happen i mean in burns last two losses he got dropped by jabs you know what i'm saying and not to laugh off you know the power of of uzman or or chimaev or to disrespect someone so high level by burns but i'm just saying he's not impervious to to being rocked to being to being dropped to, to being beaten and also i don't think gilbert burns volume is exactly the best so a few years ago man like Jorge Masvidal, man, like people need to understand, like, because I know some of the, the newer fans, they just saw him get knocked out by, by Kamaru. They saw him, you know, get grinded out by Colby. So they think that, that that's representative of Masvidal's entire career. Dog, if you've been watching Masvidal as long as I have, and as long as I have is like, I remember going to my girlfriend's apartment back in college, fucking pulling up a shark fights stream on some bootleg to watch Jorge Masvidal fight Paul Daly. So I grew up watching this guy and when he loses fights for the most part, it's usually like a controversial split decision. Like the, the famous saying was always Jorge Masvidal gets robbed more than a seven 11, right? It was never, Oh, Jorge Masvidal gets knocked out every fight. And the last time Jorge got submitted was that fucking inverted triangle by Toby Amada a million years ago. He got knocked out by Usman, but prior to that, you know, he had been dropped in some fights, like the Darren Crookshank fight, but like he had never been stopped besides the the Rodrigo Dam fight. And even that I thought was an early stoppage. So basically what I'm trying to say is this, that like stylistically speaking, Jorge's got the goods. It's just Jorge, you know, he's a, he's a fight away from retirement. And, and that's the issue here. You know, it, it, it's tough to you know, to separate your, your past love for, you know, an OG of the sport, a guy that you grew up watching and to now see their current form, you know, 
it's hard to kind of separate that nostalgia. Like, does he have one left and this and that? But it's just because, like, in his prime form, his hands are up nice and high. Um, his his boxing combinations are crisp and tight. This guy will 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 chop down your leg, but he's got nice inside leg kicks, man. Obviously, you know about his flying knees. I mean, he choked out Michael Chiesa with a Dars choke, like. This dude, Masvidal, I don't know if y'all remember when he when he gave James Krause a tour of the octagon. He gave James Krause an MMA clinic. Like, in Masvidal's prime, man, like, you know, I, I'd actually bet him at these odds against Gilbert Burns. Here's the, thing, here's the thing with Gilbert Durino. So he's a guy that's impressed me a lot because when he used to fight at lightweight, I was not sold on him. Like, I've always been sold on his jiu-jitsu, of course. I mean, you know, world champion black belt, this and that. But, like, I feel like he's really developed that one-hitter quitter. His volume's gotten a little bit better. I always had an issue with his strike defense. I felt like, you know, he's kind of slower at moving his head. I felt like his chin wasn't the best. Um, but, listen, he's made it to top five in, <laughs> on the planet. So you got to give him credit there. Um, the only reason I'm leaning Gil, and I say lean, you know, this minus 500 or whatever is not a lean price. It's just because I think Jorge Masvidal is going to retire in this fight here in Miami. You know, throw those gloves down in the center of the octagon and, and, and call it a day. But the thing is, a couple of years ago, man, I mean, Masvidal at this number against Burns, like I think Masvidal would put a whooping on Burns a few years ago. Now it, it's just that, like, when you look at Masvidal's prime, how did he used to lose all these fights? He, it'd be controversial split decisions where he'd come out hard that first round and then he'd coast for the remainder of the fight. Like, you remember the Ayakinta fight, first fight? I mean, he's making them look like he doesn't even belong in there with them. You know, he, he he's throwing them around all over the place. And then second and third round just kind of takes his foot off the gas and cries robbery. And, like, We've seen that over and over. And then here, now that, you know, Jorge's getting cl Jorge's closer to 40 than he is to 30, the reflexes are slowing down a little bit. The urgency has never quite been there. So I think the, er the early going is where Jorge really needs to make Gilbert feel, you know, feel his presence in there. It's just that the longer the fight goes on, even if Jorge wins the first round, I think that, you know, he's going to try to start coasting. That's where Gilbert can maybe land a takedown. Jorge's got good-ass takedown defense, man. Like, don't let the Colby and the Kamaru fights fool you. Because even in those fights, he was able to get back up. And Gilbert is nowhere near the wrestler of Kamaru and Colby. Now, Gilbert's got way better jujitsu than both of them. But wrestling-wise, it's not even close. So, yeah, th this is tough because when these guys are at that point when they're washed, things that would have never happened in the past start happening, right? Like, would you be surprised if Gilbert Burns dropped Jorge Masvidal? Would you be surprised if Gilbert Burns took him down, took his back and choked him out? Like, basically what I'm saying is that is Jorge, you know, like let's take the last two matches aside. Is he still, you know, a guy that can compete at the highest level? And I'm just thinking that he made his money. He made his mark on this sport. My boys had how many like over 50 fights that we know of got that that we know of right you did it bro there's nothing left to do like we're talking title shots like like come on bro not that i think gilbert's gonna get a title shot y'all know who i i think is the number one contender in that division it's a uh, Bilal muhammad but don't get me wrong i know shafkat's a problem too i know there's some other guys in there but yeah i don't think uh gilbert or jorge are a threat to the title I'm going to pick Gilbert to win this fight. I'm just not interested at this price. So if you want to go out there and 
take that one unit shot on Jorge just to find out because historically speaking, I actually do think this is a fight he can win. I'm just worried about that current form. Like I saw a significant step down in just kind of like the, the fire and the intensity that he used to have um, compared to the old days. So for that reason, I, I got to go Gilbert Dorino. Not sure how it's going to happen. think there's a chance it could be closer, but also think there's a chance he could get blown out the water. But let's see. I love me some Jorge Masvidal, so it would be cool to see him go out on a win. I'm just not counting on it. So I'll go with Gilbert. Now, next up in the featured bout in the Bantamweight division, this is exciting. We got Rob Font, or as we like to refer to in Brazil, we got Javi Fonch. He's 19 and six, taking on Adrian Yanez, who's 16 and three. Currently, they got it. It just depends where you look. You know, I see everywhere from minus 175 to minus 185 on Adrian Yanez. And uh, listen, here's the thing with this fight. So Rob Font, just in terms of offensively speaking, it's beautiful. Offensively speaking, this guy does everything I like. I mean, like when you talk about some numbers, man, like let's talk about some numbers. Y'all know I love to talk about my numbers. Like listen to this shit. Last three fights for for Robbie Font, right? For for Hobby Font, <laughs> two hundred seventy one significant strikes landed against uh, Marlon, one hundred forty nine significant strikes landed against Jose. 176 strikes landed against Cody Garbranch. So, like, shit. <laughs> I mean, volume-wise, you're there, kid. Volume-wise, I mean, volume-wise, jab-wise, experience-wise, takedown-wise, uh, you know, he's landed some takedowns here and there, but that, that's not really what he's known for, man. He's known for his boxing for MMA, you know. He's, he's the bantamweight Calvin Cater, man, you know. Um, and, uh... I, I know why a lot of people are taking Font in this spot. You know, they saw Adrian Yanez go up there against Randy Costa, you know, get lit up for a little bit of the first round. They saw him eat some shots against Grant. They saw him eat some shots against Kelly. But like, oh yeah, and this is a big step up in competition. He's never he's never fought anybody like this, right? But the thing you got to understand about for we'll, we'll talk. Don't get me wrong. We're gonna talk about uh, Randy Costa lighting him up. We're gonna talk about. David Grant, we're going to talk about Tony Kelly. But before I do that, I want to address the, the he's never fought anybody like this talk. Guys, like <laughs> every champion was once a contender and every contender was once a prospect and every prospect was once a regional fighter. So what I'm trying to say is that just because he's never fought anybody like this does not mean that he cannot rise to the occasion. Had Jamal Hill ever fought anybody like Glover Teixeira? No, he rose to the occasion. Had, I don't know, had Bilal Muhammad fought anyone like Luke? Yes, Luke knocked him out many years prior. He rose to the occasion. Guys can rise just because you haven't fought somebody of this caliber or just because somebody of this caliber has beat you in the past does not mean that you can't rise to the occasion. Like, that, that that's the thing that I, I, I think, you know, some of y'all need to get through your stubborn fucking heads, man. That like, just cause like people are like oh, Tony Kelly and Randy Costa, they're nowhere near the level of Rob Font. It's like, yeah, no shit. No, I, I know what's fucking saying that those guys that are probably not going to be in the UFC this time next year are on the same level as Robbie Font or hobby Font. No, no, no one's saying that, bro. No one's saying that at all. What I'm saying is that 
why can't Adrian Yanez rise to the occasion? That's what I'm saying. Now let's talk about why I think he does rise to the occasion. So, Robbie Font, you know, and I know a lot of people are getting ready for me to reference how he got dropped three times by Marlon Vera, how he got dropped twice by Jose Aldo. And you're right, I will talk about that. But before I talk about that, I want to talk about how that's not just like some, you know, some random occurrence. And that's not just some, oh, wow, what happened to Rob Font? Like, if y'all have been watching Rob Font's entire career, like I've been watching his entire career, then you were around when John Lineker hit him so hard that Rob Font pulled guard. Y'all were around when Rob Font was absolutely tagging up Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz hits him one time, and Robbie Font, the boxer, shoots for a takedown against one of the most dangerous guillotine artists in the Bantamweight division. So I don't, I don't need to talk about the Cheeto and the Jose fights, which I will soon. But I don't need to talk about them because I've seen this stuff go down back in the day against Lineker against Munoz. So what I'm trying to say is that Robbie Font can give it 100%, but when it comes when, when someone really stands up to Robbie Font, when someone gives it back, it's not that Rob Font's not a tough guy cuz he's a super tough guy cuz in those last two fights against Aldo and Cheeto, he could have covered up and, and let the ref uh, you know, come in here intervene and none of us would have held it against him but the fact that you know despite his face falling off and all this shit he hung in there so like rob font hey you're a tough ass dude like i gotta give you a lot of credit it, it, it's just that when we take away how tough he is mentally i want to know how tough he is in terms of durability i want to know how that chin is i want to know how that temple is i want to know also this is another talking point I want to know how these weight cuts are getting. My boy, Rob Font, how old are you now, bro? 35, 36. Like, one thing I heard Chito Vera say in their pre-fight interview, um, because y'all remember Rob Font missed weight for the Chito Vera fight, right? And one thing that Chito Vera said that I found was interesting was like, uh, like this guy's a featherweight trying to make bantamweight. Like, he's not even a bantamweight, he's a featherweight. So, I mean, the guy cuts a shit ton of weight. You see the size of Rob Font? Like, God damn, that's a big boy for Bantamweight. It's got to be one of the bigger Bantamweights on the roster, man. Um, he cuts a ridiculous amount of weight. And as you know, it's one thing to be 32. It's one thing to be 28. It's one thing to be 33. But when you're getting there at 35, 36, you're closer to 40 than you are to, to 30. That's when those weight cuts start to take their toll. And now we're starting to see, you know, certain things catch up to him. You know, like in that in that Lineker fight, you know, when he got hurt there, he pulled guard. We didn't really see him wobbling all over the place. The Pedro, the Pedro Munoz fight, a little wobble, a shot, a desperate shot. Okay, but the kind of wobbles we saw against Jose, and then he only waited like five months to come back, which, you know, back to the Izzy talk, Izzy's only waited like, like, like five, six months to come back to like – are they taking the right amount of time off? Now it's been close to a year. So has he been able to heal up his chin? Because officially it says that, you know, it's only been five knockdowns, you know, the, the Marlon three times, the Jose twice. And guys, that's not to discount how hard of a hitter Jose Aldo is, how good his boxing is. That's not to discount that Marlon Chito Vera hit him with some fucking sweet chin music, you know, sidekick to the face. Like that shit's going to rock somebody. It, it, it's just that, we can't, you know, 
overlook what kind of damage that's done, not only physically, but psychologically. How do you come back knowing that, you know, you're still cutting this ridiculous amount of weight. you got a ridiculous counter striker in front of you and Adrian Giannis, who is going to crack that chin. How are you going to react to that? And I think a big difference in their game is obviously the volume goes to, goes to font better level of competition all that. Like, yeah, it's understood. But Adrian Giannis has a very specific skill set, and they're both boxers for MMA. The difference is uh, Font's more on the volume side. Adrian's more on the sharp counters and the power side. So, yeah, I, I can see Rob Font, you know, at the, at the end of this fight, when you look at the numbers, I can see Rob Font having higher numbers than, than Adrian Giannis in terms of strikes landed. It's just that when it's Adrian's turn to land his shots, <laughs> I mean, I do think that Rob's going to be wobbling all over the, the place. I do think Rob's going to get dropped. I do think that it's going to be noticeable, the impact of these shots compared to the volume of font. Now, let's go back because I promised you all I was going to talk about the Randy Costa fight and all that. And, it, you know, I'd be remiss not to mention that, right? You know, I'm not going to just give one-sided analysis. So, Randy Costa fight. Let's talk about that because there, there's some – some big misconceptions surrounding that fight. You know, people saying that, you know, Randy Costa's a bum and this and that. Like, guys, let's backtrack a little bit, okay? What was the deal with Randy Costa going into the Adrian Giannis fight? The deal with Randy Costa going into the Adrian Giannis fight, what we all understood Randy Costa as was a guy that, hey, those first five minutes, this motherfucker is hell on wheels. But if you can get him to that second round, if you can extend this kid, that's where you can take him to those deep waters and drown him. So Randy Costa coming off two first-round knockout wins over Boston Salmon and Journey Newsom gets in there with Adrian Yanez, and he did what Randy Costa does, went right after him. I mean, another thing about him, Randy Costa is a long, 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 long bantamweight. Even is taller than Rob Font, has a longer reach than Rob Font. And this is back when Randy Costa had confidence. This is back when Randy Costa was willing to kill or be killed. One thing you guys got to take note of is this. Adrian Giannis, he took the shots. I mean, look, did it look pretty? No, it didn't. But he ate the shots. He wasn't wobbling all over the place like his opponent, Rob Font. And when it was his turn to land his shots on on, uh, Randy Costa, I mean, the body work. Once he started establishing his jab, I mean, like he broke Randy Costa in a way where he he didn't just break him in that fight, guys. He took Randy Costa's soul because y'all remember, like I said, the theme of Randy Costa fights going into the Giannis fight was a Randy Costa's hell on wheels for five minutes. But if you can get past that, you can take this guy to deep waters and drown him. Okay, well, let's look at Randy Costa's next two fights after Giannis. The Tony Kelly fight, there wasn't even that early storm from Randy Costa. He just got walked through. The Guido, the Guido Canetti fight, it was Guido putting the early storm on Randy Costa. So what I'm trying to say here is Adrian Yanez took Randy Costa's soul. So let's not discredit that win just because, you know, Randy, who at the time was brimming with confidence, was coming off two first-round knockouts, was known to be, you know, these first five minutes are going to be hell on wheels. I'm not holding that against Giannis. Giannis, you know, Giannis uh, took it and then he gave it. You know what I'm saying? And Randy Costa was never, never, ever, 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 ever the same again. So what I think is going to happen is 
listen, and I heard the interviews, Rob talking about how he wants to take him down and submit him. Like, yeah, okay, bro. Like, <laughs> talk is cheap. I, I don't buy that. Rob is not that kind of guy. Rob, Rob fights like a man. Rob is gonna come out here, establish that jab, try to get up on get off on that volume. And for his sake, hopefully he doesn't get clipped in a way that compromises him. Now, when you go back and you watch Adrian Yana's entire career and you see the kinds of guys that have been able to beat him, only one guy has whooped his ass. I mean, if you go back, you have to go all the way back to 2014 when Levi Moles beat uh, Adrian Yanez. And Levi Moles, this was uh, Adrian Yanez's second pro fight. That's the only guy that's ever truly beat Adrian Yanez's ass. Like, he took him down, was ground and pounding him, was doing all these things. Like, he whooped Adrian Yanez. But that's the only loss that he truly lost because the Domingo Pilarte fight, I mean, Domingo fought <laughs> Domingo fought Adrian like a you-know-what. I mean, the ref was literally warning Domingo for running away the entire fight, and the crowd was booing when they gave Domingo that split decision. Like, that was some bullshit. And then the fight against Miles Johns, you know, Miles Johns, uh, you know, acted like Adrian Yanez's crotch was his pillow, you know? He he hugged him for dear life. And, now, and listen, it's the fighter's responsibility to escape those positions, but I'm just saying, the guys that beat Adrian Yanez, at least historically speaking, they fight him like, like the style that you hate watching. I don't think I don't know if Rob Font's capable of fighting boring. I don't know if Rob Font's capable of making the crowd boo. Like Rob Font, he you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. And I think he's dying by the sword Saturday night. I think that again, he's gonna get off on his jabs, he's gonna get off on some volume, but when it's time for Adrian to find his timing, get off on a nice left hook counter, whatever the case may be, start cutting his angles. I think he's got something for Rob Font. I think he gets the biggest one of his career. I think we start talking about him as a, you know, as a top prospect, a, you know, rising contender, whatever you want to call it. Um, and this is going to be the biggest one of his career as far as I'm concerned. So I know that there's a lot of opinion on Rob Font, but, I'm I'm not on that. I'm on Giannis here, man. I, I I mean, you're talking about two boxers and one with heavily diminishing durability, man. And you can tell me sidekick to the face all you want, but I already gave you examples from back in the day where it's like Rob, he can give it, but can he? But but can he take it too? Can he take it too? He's tough as fuck mentally. Like he's not gonna look for a way out. It's just I don't know how he reacts to these shots anymore. And I don't I just can't watch those last two fights and just ignore him. Just put him on the back burner. Oh, it was just Cheeto and Aldo. So let's just act like, you know, it's not a big deal. Yo, Adrian Giannis hits very hard. Adrian Giannis can box for MMA. And I think Adrian Giannis is going to damage Rob Font. So for that reason, I'm picking him to win this fight. And I'm considering uh, putting a little something something on him. So let's see. Let's see where the line goes. Next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Kevin Holland, he's 23 and 9, taking on Santiago Ponzinibbio, who is 29 and 6. Currently, they got it. Again, it, it just depends where you look. Um, because there's been a lot of a lot of two-way action on this fight. But that being said, currently they got it. Kevin Holland everywhere from minus 250 to, to minus 290. And the comeback on Santiago, Genchi Boa, Ponzinibbio, the Argentine dagger, is everywhere from plus 200 to plus 215. 
so this is this is such an interesting fight right like because kevin holland man he's got such athletic gifts man i mean he's got the the nine inch reach advantage here he's got the height advantage he's got the youth advantage he's got the you know the physical specimen advantages you know he's definitely more athletically superior than, than Santiago. I mean, if you put them together and see who had a, who has a higher vertical jump, my mon my money's on Kevin Holland here. And Kevin Holland can absolutely come out here and, and, and starch Ponzinibbio. I mean, that straight right of Kevin Holland is nasty, especially at 70s. At 70s, his power has been translating big time. Um, it, it's just that Kevin Holland, toughness-wise like just heart wise doesn't even compare to santiago like if this is a battle of will like if santiago can get me past this early going not be so badly compromised because i know santiago gets wobbled or dropped every single fight especially now like we know he hasn't looked the same since he came back but man if, if santiago can somehow get past the length of kevin holland get past this early going and like really make it this gritty dog fight. I mean, if it comes down to a battle of wills, if it comes down to who's got a bigger heart, I mean, I got Santiago in that fight. It, it, it's just the issue is like, so, so with Santiago and firstly, we talk about the length Santiago's beaten a six foot three guy before he beat Sean Strickland. Uh, granted it was a long ass time ago, but just saying he's got experience beating taller guys. So, this won't be his first look, you know, going up against a 6'3", 6'4", guy uh, with volume and this and that. He's done it. He's passed it. Um, he's passed that test before, even though he even got dropped in that fight too. Um, so so my, my thing is like how hurt, how compromised is Pond's going to be in the early going? Like is Kevin just going to come out here and just, you know, just beat him off your athletic gifts and, and this and that or like because again if it comes down to a fighter's heart if it comes down to you know like santiago's still talking about the belt kevin's talking about just putting money in the bank and smoking weed right like kevin retired two fights ago kevin was on the wrong side of one of the worst ass whoopings i've ever seen his very la his very last fight um and and nothing about that so I, I thought Kevin broke his hand uh, in that Wonder Boy fight, which was in December. It's only April now. It's only been a few uh, months. So did he really break his hand? Or is this guy just like an enigma or like his hand just repaired that quick? Because I'm under the impression that when that Wonder Boy fight wasn't going as easy as he thought it was, you know, he's not the kind to just take a knee and let you tee off and let the ref intervene. He's more of the kind to just kind of like stop fighting and let you whoop his ass. And I've seen that in the Vittori fight and the Brunson fight. And you can be like, yeah, well, his wrestling sucks. But it's like he accepted defeat in those fights. But he tries to mask him accepting defeat by being funny. By, oh, I'm going to talk to Khabib in the middle of my fight. And you looked at Khabib's face. Khabib's like, bro, like, focus on your fight, man. Stop trying to be a fucking comedian. But that it's just like the way that Kevin checks out of fights is different than the way other fighters check out of fights like when, when, when we talk about that fixed fight between uh derek minner and shy yulan here in a little bit like yeah shy uh derek minner took one shot covers up lets the ref intervene whereas kevin kind of he wants to disguise the fact that he's breaking mentally by 
by being funny, by talking, by by slapping you in the ear, by you know telling Wonder Boy, "Hey, don't kick me so hard, haha," in hopes that he actually doesn't kick him so hard. So he, he's a gamesman for sure. Um, I just think that he's the kind of guy that when things aren't going his way, he accepts defeat. And to lay a number like minus two fifty to minus three hundred on him when he can't be trusted whatsoever. I remember laying the chalk on him against Darren Stewart. The dude that washed out of the UFC super quick. That shit was a split decision. Holland made me sweat. Like, Holland, like, like, dude, like, what the fuck? Like, that third round, Holland was breaking again in that third round, man. So it's like, I don't trust this guy at all. It's just that, it's just that his physical attributes and his length Mixed in with the fact that Ponzinibbio gets hit hard every single fight, Kevin might be able to sneak past this one. But I'm telling you, man, if Pons can get me through this early going and make this a real fight, make this a dog fight, make this about biting down on your mouthpiece, who wants it more? I can tell you Pons wants it more than Kevin Holland with a straight face. It's just the physical attributes, the youth, all that. But, like, let me say this. So, Pons, because I don't know if y'all remember his run before he had, like, he almost died, right? Like, his run before he almost died, y'all should see what he did to Neil Magny. Y'all should see what he did to some of these guys. Beat Sean Strickland. Like, beat some real guys, right? But since he came back, the Li Jing Liang fight, you know, because the dude almost died, right? The Li Jing Liang fight got knocked the fuck out. The Baeza fight, he pulled out. He still got that heart, but it was an ugly fight. The Jeff Neal and the Pereira fight. Now, while I personally thought that Pons lost both those fights, to his credit, he's still going to a split decision with, with very tough competition in Jeff Neal and um, Michelle Pereira, right? And then the next fight against Murano. So let's talk about the fight with, with Murano and, and Pons. Because there is a misconception about that fight. The misconception is that Pons was looking like shit the whole fight. And then, and then he got this lucky knockout in round three. And that's not what happened at all, man. Pons was fighting a really good fight. Now, now before, before you start commenting, let me finish my thought. Pons was fighting a really good fight. Pons was jabbing to the body. Because, you know, Morano um, uh, took the fight on, on short notice. So like a couple days short notice, they had to make it a catchway. So Pons was doing the right things, going to the body, kind of try to diminish the gas tank from uh, from Murano. Pons was chopping down those calf kicks, and he was looking for his eventual opening to throw that patented straight right upstairs, which he eventually did. But here's what would happen. Pons would be getting off on those jabs to the body. He'd be getting off on those calf kicks. I, I had a bet on Pons in that fight. I'd be like, yes, Santiago. Like, he's looking beautiful. And then, like, I think first round gets caught with a spinning back fist, goes down. It's like, fuck. Everything we just did that was looking so good goes out the window because Murano just got that big moment, right? Next round comes around. More of the same, man. More of the fucking same. Pons beautifully lighting up that body with the jab, going to the calf kicks, finding a couple openings upstairs. I'm like, yes, Santiago. Gets caught again, goes down. I'm like, Oh, my God. Now, granted, he gets right back up. It's just like to the judges, they will favor knockdowns over anything that you've done before that, right? So those knockdowns overrode any kind of success that Pons was having early in that fight. Third round comes around. More of the same. We're going to the body. We're fucking chopping his calves down. And then, and then Alex clips him 
uh, right behind the ear. And I mean, we saw a stumble back from Ponzinibbio, and I was just like, oh my God, Santiago. But man, Santiago's persistent. And while he's still fresh, I mean, while he's still conscious, rather, he's gonna he's coming after you, man. And he went right after Murano, and eventually everything paid off. The dividends of you know investing early with those body shots, investing early with those calf kicks. Eventually, he was able to find that right hand that he'd been looking for the whole fight, and he got him out of there. So, strategically speaking. I loved what I saw from Ponzinibbio in the Murano fight. It's just back to the, he gets rocked every fight. The durability isn't what it once was. Um, not that it ever was like, you know, who's someone with a granite chin that you hit with a baseball bat and they keep walking forward. He was never one of those guys. He, would, he, was, he was always the guy that would like get wobbled early, get dropped early, but he, he just got this, this persistence, this will to win. Um, that he's Argentinian, man. I told you many times, Argentines are some of the most stubborn people on planet Earth. If you ever dated an Argentine woman, you know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. Good luck winning that argument. So, you know, Santiago, he, he, he was like, fuck it, man. Like, I don't care how many times you've wobbled me. I don't care how many times you dropped me. I'm going to go after you and I'm going to accomplish my goal. And that's what he did. So I was happy to see that. It's just here. Kevin Holland's power translates at, at, at 1-7. You saw he hit Alex Cowboy one time, <laughs> sent him turtled up. Um, he hit uh, he hit Tim Means, and, I mean, Tim Means, known for, you know, his striking, shooting, ta shooting takedowns right into a darts choke uh, against Kevin Holland. So even that first round against Wonderboy, um, now, there's some misconceptions about that wonder boy. I heard people talking about how, oh, if that was a three round fight, uh, Kevin would have won. <laughs> cut, cut, Jonah Hill, cut. Like, don't even try me on that bullshit. So, first round, Wonder Boy is getting off on some nasty straight lefts, and you could see right in the eyes of Kevin Holland, like, fuck, I didn't know he's gonna he was gonna be so fast. But, um, you know. Holland did land a nice straight right on Wonder Boy, so maybe took back the first round that way. But second round comes around. Wonder Boy starting to get off on more straight, on more straight left, starting to tag him up a little bit, starting to make the output wane on the Holland side. By the time the third round comes around, that's when he saw fucking um, Wonder Boy coming out here with spinning heel kicks to the dome and doing all these crazy things, man. And uh, just I just put on the performance of the year as far as I, I was concerned. And you know, Kevin said no moss, man. He complained about a broken hand. Well, if your hand was broken, how come you're fighting, you know, a couple months later? Now, don't get me wrong. Some dudes can heal way faster than others. That's just, from my experience, I know dudes that they break their hands and a year and a half later, their hand is still having issues, right? So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I see why Kevin's favored, of course, because the youth, the length, Santiago gets wobbled every fight. So yeah, of course, there's potential for Kevin Holland to come out here and, and stop uh pawns early there's absolutely that potential that could that could for sure happen but if that does not happen and this becomes a real fight a dog fight where these guys have to bite down on that mouthpiece go tooth and nail let's see who the tougher guy is let's see who got the bigger balls i got santiago in that fight man so 
it, it's hard to be confident because I know the dangers. I know Pons gets rocked every fight. I know that Kevin's super dangerous, especially early while he's fresh. He's got insane athletic gifts that you just can't match. Pons, get me, get me past this early going, bro. And I think you can break this guy. I think you're infinitely tougher than this guy. I think you still want to fight for the belt. This guy retired already and he wants to fucking um um he just wants to stack up paychecks um yeah tell 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 this dude to shut his dumb ass up but anyways uh yeah I, i'm gonna go pawns i mean listen i understand the early the early threat and i know that pawns might get knocked out here but get me get me get me into uh get me into these deep waters and then let's see what's up so yeah all right now Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a match between Raul Rosas Jr. He's 7-0, taking on Christian Rodriguez, who is 8-1. Currently, they got it. Shit. <laughs> Raul Rosas, minus 275. The comeback on Christian Rodriguez is plus 220. Um, so... Yeah, my whole thing with this fight is this. I don't know if y'all remember uh, Raul Rosa's last fight against Jay Perrin. People were, like, running to the window to bet Jay Perrin, who's literally, who literally might be the worst fighter in the history of the sport. Like, I remember tweeting the night before that fight, like, Jay Perrin is acting like a guy who's getting ready to pull one of the biggest stunts in the history of the sport. And that's exactly what he did, man. I mean, like you hear how he was talking in his media day, like when, like when the, when the media members asked about like, you know, what kind of potential do you think this kid has? And, and Jay Perrin just wants to discredit him and, and do all these things like, dude, like Jay, Jay Perrin's a complete joke. So I, one of my biggest regrets is so I I bet Raul Rosas minus two thirty against Jay Perrin. I had zero issues laying a, a chalk price like that against Jay Perrin. One of my biggest regrets is like if I could go back in time and like get the chance to fade Jay Perrin in the UFC again, like I'd be taking out six figure loans, bro. Like I'd be <laughs> I'd be going all out because man, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity we're never gonna get again. So. And I mean, honestly, I know this might sound arrogant and this might sound crazy. And I actually don't even like talking in these terms because it might not even be the best look for me to say this. But like, I think that if me and Jay Perrin put on the gi, I straight up think I'd tap out Jay Perrin. So that, that that's just kind of like the level I think that he's on, that he's just he's just not there. Whereas like Christian Rodriguez is not a fucking joke. Like we're going from Jay Perrin, who's like, the biggest fucking jobber we've ever seen in all our years watching the sport to Christian's like a legit prospect, bro. Like Christian's solid everywhere, man. Good volume on the feet gets back up from takedowns can escape bad positions on the mat. He's got nasty submissions of his own trains with good people. Like, and, and I heard his interviews today. So when I heard the, the Jay Perrin interviews and Jay Perrin's just, you know, you know, talking down all of what Raul Rosas does. You're not even going to get a single takedown on me. Like, all this shit out here, none of that matters when you're in the cage with me. I'm going to break your fucking jaw and all. It's like, bro, like, the kid's eight. You're beefing with an 18-year-old? <laughs> you fucking loser. <laughs> bro, 
Okay, I, I'm not. I'm not going to start this because it looks like oh, a, a a UFC podcaster is challenging a a former UFC fighter to a grappling match. But like, straight up, if if Jay Perrin wants to put on the gi with me, like, and come to my gym, Team Octopus, like, I think I can tap him out. But that doesn't matter here. Christian Rodriguez is a different story, bro. Christian Rodriguez, I mean, like. I like everything about him, man. Like, like, and also back to the interview talk, right? Like, so remember when I when I talked about how they asked Jay Perrin what he thought of Rosas, and he was just, you know, sounded insecure, was d- diminishing his accomplishments, was, you know, downplaying his potential, was just being an idiot. Whereas when they asked Christian Rodriguez about uh, Raul Rosas, Christian was like, yeah, you know, it, it's important to have that kind of belief. It's important to, you know, the kids a legit pro like Christian handled this shit fucking well man like so to me like i like everything about christian rodriguez um so again like this is not jay perrin is what you need to understand now back to uh raul rosas very very talented very 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 talented guy um you know and, and for his age the maturity i see at his age at 18 years old where i know guys that were once the 18 year old phenom and now they're almost 25 and they haven't panned out yet i know guys that have made it through their whole entire careers got an opportunity after opportunity um um and and they still haven't gotten their shot whereas this kid like shows maturity for 18 years old and i loved that one thing that one um entry he had he went like double he went a flying knee to a double leg on his contender series like that kind of shit is innovative that kind of shit is slick he's got that youthful energy about him now dan goldstein brings up a good point i don't like that c rod's been taken down 10 times though in three fights true but like but but what you got to take into consideration is this yeah will c rod get taken down sure but c rod it's not like jay perrin where you take him down one time and, and the fight's over shortly after right c rod firstly he's got mexican roots this guy is going to fight back this guy is going to be there this guy is going to survive bad positions so that's what makes it an intriguing fight for me because i do think raul rosas is ultra talented um i just think that christian rodriguez is no slouch at all so yeah while i lean you know raul i think i lean raul um because maybe he's got a little bit more star potential i don't know this it's still too early to say um i just don't think it's going to be a walk in the park um and people bringing up Weems took him down twice. Yeah, he took him down, but the dude fucking got right back up right away. And then the other time, fucking transitioned to, I forgot if it was an Anaconda or a Dars. I mean, like, bro, like, Weems, like, I think also you got to take into consideration when you're fighting a dude that's got a blue ponytail, like, <laughs> you probably think it's this big joke. Like, like I know, like, you think he would have been allowed to go back to see his homies losing to a guy with a blue ponytail? I don't think so, man. So, he thought he was just gonna get him out of there. I don't think he respected him. Um, yeah, he got taken down, he got right back up. And then the other time he got taken down, transitioned to to a beautiful front leg, uh front headlock series. I forgot if it was a Darcy or Anaconda, even though I literally just watched it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that Christian is super tough, man. Like everywhere, man. So so the thing about this is like on the feet from what i've seen because you got to take into consideration like with an 18 year old you're going to be seeing big leaps 
every single time he fights. So you might even see a brand new man. But Christian ain't exactly, you know, some old vet either, man. I mean, he's also a guy that's growing every single fight. Now, he actually went back to Rufus Sport for this camp um, instead of Fight Ready. And to a lot of people, that's a red flag. But I don't think it is in this situation because word on the street is that, you know, first of all, you guys got to understand, this is the first fight on the pay-per-view card. So this is not like at Rufus Sport, you know, maybe if some guy's on the lower undercard and no one, get, you know, maybe then the coaches won't show up or put, a, you know, put as much, uh, you know, effort into it or whatever but like when your guy from rufus sport is fighting on the main card against the most hype prospect at bantamweight right now like bro like he is getting the right looks i can guarantee you that so i'm not too worried about the camp switch or whether it's camp switch or going back to your old camp whatever you want to call it um yeah so <laughs> Benjamin says um, minus 130 versus Perrin, also minus 130 versus Blue Ponytail. Now, I think Blue Ponytail is much tougher. I, I literally think Jay Perrin, like, Mike, like, yeah, Mike Mike Jackson's worse because Mike Jackson's not even a fighter. And, like, at least, like, Jay Perrin went the distance with Mario Bautista. I don't know how. I mean, Mario put an absolute clinic on him. But, like, um, but I'm just, I was just saying, Put us together in the gi. That's all I said. Don't, I don't want to throw hands. Just, just put me in the gi with him. Let's see what happens. But stop, stop getting me off track. But back to this. I just see it being a spirited Latina and just Mexican war where these guys are getting after it. Insane scrambles. We're gonna get to learn a lot about both these guys. So I don't want to. I don't want to have a bet. I'll lean Raul, but like, I respect Christian Rodriguez so much and so much more than Jay Perrin that. Like, you can't bet Jay Perrin and then run to the window and fucking, you know, lay minus 275 on Rosas. Unless you really think he's just going to come out here and choke him out early, which I don't see. I think it's going to be a three-round scrap. I think it's going to be a Latino war. And let's see who emerges uh, on top. I cannot wait for it, man. So, yeah, I lean Rosas, but Christian is a guy I got a ton of respect for. This is not Jay Perrin. This is a real fight. And uh, let's see who the better man is. To the victor goes the spoils, man, because, like, these kind of kids, you're going to be seeing the best version of them every single time. So this is a real fight. And uh, I cannot wait. So let's get it. Now, next up, we got the featured prelim between Kelvin Gastelum, um, who's 17 and 8, taking on Chris Curtis, who's 30 and 9. Currently, they got it. Kelvin Gastelum, minus 120. The comeback on Chris Curtis is plus 115. So I, I got to give a big shout-out to everybody that came in and you know, uh, gobbled up those uh, those dog odds on uh, Kelvin earlier in the week, and they've completely flipped the line. So you guys did your job. If you guys want to you know, put a little bit on Curtis to um, to guarantee yourself a profit, I understand that, but if you just want to ride it out knowing that you beat the line movement by a ridiculous amount and you do that long-term, you will be on the right side of the coin. So congrats to y'all. Uh, basically, so pre-tape, I kind of felt like, you know, Kelvin, he's lost five of six, isn't in his best form. You know, Curtis has been getting some nice upsets here. Like maybe Curtis is live here, but when I watch it, man, so here's the thing about Curtis. He's got very sharp hands. I just wish that what's up, man? 
I just wish that he'd let his hands go more, man. Like uh, if he had the volume requirement and pe- and people can, can talk about this, you know, Rodolfo Vieira fight where he, where he actually showed that he could land, you know, a hundred significant strikes in a three round fight. The issue with that is there was nothing coming back at him. You know, Rodolfo was just shooting shot after shot. So that was easy target practice. I do not see, um, Chris Curtis landing over 100 significant strikes on, on Kelvin here. I think there's a different matchup. And, and the thing w- with Chris is takedown defense in the UFC has been phenomenal, which is interesting because it's like a far cry from what it was on World Series of Fighting where he was getting taken down easily. He was being grinded out. So even though he stuffed a shit ton of takedowns in the UFC and he's been doing his thing, there's like i don't know why i just have the old image of chris curtis in my head like i remember when he fought Bilal on the regional scene Bilal easily grinded him out and chris curtis threw his little pity party the same one he threw after the jack or manson fight but chris look he's got pop on his punches he's you know he's a very dangerous counter striker it's just the volume isn't quite there like it needs to be and i think the volume will be there with kelvin gastelum um and the thing is, you know, even though, um, bro, t- tell this guy, t- t- tell this guy if he wants to come in the chat and talk to me about this, that's fine. But don't, 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 don't even try me on this. But wait, wait till, wait till I'm done with these breakdowns. But here, here's the link. If you wanna, if you wanna have this debate with me, I'm willing to have it. But let me finish my breakdowns. Um, you said the call, Jay Perrin. Uh, the worst UFC fighter is not smart. I didn't. I said Mike Jackson's the worst UFC fighter. But Jay Perrin's top 10 for sure. Uh, but, hey, join the stream after I'm done with the breakdown. Let's have this debate. Fuck it. Why not, man? Because um, I am down to have that discussion with you. And and I and I will win that discussion. You know? Show your face, bro. But, uh, yeah. So, back to Curtis and Gastelum. Like, initially, like... I was thinking that, you know, Kelvin, you know, he's not looking as good as he once has. But then I was also thinking that, like, you know, he's been fighting the best guys in the world. But 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 the issue is, like, he lost to a, a low-volume guy in Darren Till. Now, can we make an exception for him in the sole sense that, well, Kelvin was coming off the Izzy fight prior to Darren Till. And you know that sometimes when they come off that title fight loss – their next fight is a little bit more uninspired. So I think that there's a high probability that that's what it was in the Darren Till fight. I don't want to take away from Darren Till's win. Only reason I have to bring that up is just transparency. I mean, Chris Curtis, low-volume striker. Darren Till, low-volume striker. Low-volume striker has beat uh, Kelvin Gaston before. Why, why, why are you barking at me, bro? Are you telling me the underdog's live here? You know this guy's barking at me now in the middle of my show? Come on, dog. Yeah. You're being more annoying than that one guy who said Jay Perrin's a future world champion. Come on, dog. But uh, listen, at, at the end of the day, I, I, I just really think that the more I look into it, as, as long as Kelvin, you know, can still take it because he's got ridiculous durability. And as long as he's fired up for this one, because sometimes he can be hit or miss and, and, and this and that. Um, if his volume's on point, man, then. I think he's got what it takes to come out here and and win it win a hard fought decision against a seasoned vet in Curtis. So I see the argument for both. You want to fade Kelvin's current form. I get that. 
but if you uh can, can you all believe this guy i love you too leah but like the, the, the only thing is you need curtis to really go after you need curtis to really make these counter these counter shots uh these counter these, these counter uh shots count that that's what needs to make happen but i think the volume is going to be controlled by kelvin and i wouldn't be surprised if kelvin also was able to land the first takedown against curtis in ufc not in his career because he used to get taken out all the time it's crazy how he's shore that up but i think this is one kelvin can get back on track on slightly out you know be ahead of him on the volume on on the volume and this and that and i uh i'll go kelvin but <laughs> your dog just told that guy that that saying parents a future world champion to shut the fuck up hey, hey good looking out leo i appreciate you hey the link's still here so after i'm done with the breakdowns come in here and have this debate with me i'm down dude i got time not too much time but a little bit of time now my boy dan said leo's picks are positive roi every time you know what i'm saying you know hey leo they're giving you compliments here my boy and also let's just take a quick moment of silence for my girl blondie who i lost recently y'all know she was a big part you know sitting on the on the couch and and you know just showing a lot of love and just always being there and you know i lost her about a week ago so rest in peace blondie but you know, I, I'm, I'm very blessed i do have you know i got leo with me i got oscar with me where you at oscar o oscar's uh Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know what I'm saying? My boy Oscar's just chilling out. <laughs> My boy said, Leo, rear naked chokes parent. Bro. <laughs> Among other things, right? <laughs> and the funny thing is that parent is probably going to put his profile back on private after this. Like, when he put his profile on private the night before the, the Raul fight, that's when he knew he was broken beyond belief. And yeah, my biggest life regret was not just laying the minus 230 straight on, on uh, Raul, but not like taking out an 100K mortgage, 100K loan to do that, man, because we'll never get that opportunity again. But anyways, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm a lean. I'm a lean Gaslow. Not the most confident pick. And is, initially I wanted to go with Curtis. It's just the volume is so fucking low. So that's my issue. All right. Next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Michelle Watterson, uh, Gomez. What, what's this Gomez uh, talk about? She got she got a new man in her life, or what, what's the deal? She's eighteen and ten, taking on Luana Pinheiro, who's ten and one. But between you and me, she's nine and two because she quit against Random Marcos. I don't give a fuck what anyone says. Um, and currently, they got it. Luana Pinheiro minus one sixty five. The comeback on Michelle. Um, uh, Watterson is plus 135. Yo, y'all are fucking killing me right now, bro. <laughs> Leo is the lock of the night versus Jay Perrin. Perrin has fragility issues. Leo would ankle pick his ass. Javad <laughs> uh, said um, he loves my breakdowns. Thank you so much, bro. I really appreciate that. All right, but back on track because I know I can have a lot of fun with y'all, man. And I'm so grateful that y'all are here showing me support so many years into this, man. It means the world to me. And this is still fun. So let's let's keep going. So, I mean, here's the thing, guys. Like, I always talked about Michelle Watterson. She's got three things going for her. She's got a sidekick. She's got a head and arm throw. 
and she's got um, a fantastic physique. Besides that, you know, I mean, the occasional arm bar from guard, occasional rear naked choke, but like besides that, it's like her game hasn't truly evolved, very low volume, prone to being hurt, prone to being submitted. And the issue with Luana, she's just kind of young into her career, right? But she is very physical. She trains with the right people. I mean, her boyfriend is Mateus Nicolau, who I think is one of the best black belts in the flyweight division. And it is a guy who could potentially fight for a title one day. So at least she's surrounded by the right people. Um, my thing with Luana is, so she's physical. She's got nasty hip tosses, bro. Her hip tosses are absolutely disgusting, man. Like, she hit five of them against Randall. She hit two of them against... Uh, uh, Sam Hughes and the thing about Sam Hughes and we're going to talk about her in a little bit right uh, Sam Hughes like might not be the most physically imposing doesn't have the best takedown defense but like she'll hang around like she's tough she, she, she's gritty she'll, she'll hang around right um, and if people are questioning the cardio of Piniero because she quit in that one fight she pulled an Aljo um, I, I, I'm not sure if the cardio is really an issue and let me tell you why so in that last fight she had with Sam Hughes, she landed more strikes in round three than she did in round one or round two. Um, so there's that to look at. And then as far as the takedowns are concerned, she only got her takedowns the first two rounds. So rounds two and three, she stood up with someone who was allegedly a better striker, and she even got a knockdown in that fight. So basically what I'm saying is I see progression. Yeah. Is there a capability of pulling a stunt? Yes, but even though the last, last time she pulled a stunt, she got the win. <laughs> you know what I mean? She got, she, you know, her and Aljamain Sterling are still competing for that Oscar. You know what I mean, man? So, um, yeah, listen, a few years ago, I, I would have considered maybe the shot on Michelle Watterson, but I think that, you know, she's one foot out the door. Um, her style hasn't evolved at all. The upsides with Pinheiro. So I'm going to give it to her. Labrere says, Mr. Levy, so sorry for the loss of, uh, so sorry for your loss. My prayers are for you and her. My boxer Scooby-Doo is family to me and like a son more than a dog. Yeah, man, they're the best. So I really appreciate the kind words, man, and all the support y'all showed me, man. It truly feels great to know so many people have my back. So thank you for that. Now, uh, next up in the middleweight division, this is another tough one for me. We got Gerald Mearshart. He's 35 and 15, taking on Joe Pfeiffer. Be Joe Pfeiffer. He's 10 and 2. Currently, they got it. Joe Pfeiffer minus 200. The comeback on Gerald Mearshart is plus 170. So, so, so here, here's my thing with the, with this fight. Like, so I pride myself on my ability to scout prospects and to scout good talent and give good projections of where guys are going to go. And y'all are going to be like, oh, my God, he's about to bring up these guys again. Well, yeah, because they're like my best examples, like Jamal, Bilal, Cheeto. When they were all in rank, I said these guys were going to make it to the top five of their weight classes. I even said Jamal would be champ. That's true. With And the reason I bring that up is not to um, impress you, but to impress upon you that I do take pride in – Scouting out, scouting out my prospects, but that, you know, Joe Pfeiffer didn't quite, he didn't quite do it for me in terms of like, I didn't, maybe I need to see more. Maybe his career needs to progress a little bit more, but I didn't get the, that future top 10 
vibe. I didn't get that to that future top five vibe, but he's got a good thing going for him. He's in one of the shittiest weight classes in the entire sport. One of the shallowest. And what I mean by that is Marvin Vittori is a top five guy. Okay. <laughs> is there anything pretty about Marvin Vittori's game? Like guys, like when you look at, let me pull up the rankings real quick. All right. Let me, let me, let me show you what, what I consider to be real top five guys, right? So check this out. Y'all know I love pulling up my rankings. So like, all right, let's look at top five and uh, flyweight. Champ Brandon Moreno, number one, Davison. Number two, Alexander Pantoja. Kai Car France, Brandon Royval, Mateus Nicolau, right? And then you're, soon you're going to get Manel Cap in there, all right? That's what the top five there looks like. What does the top five at Bantamweight look like? Top five at Bantamweight, Aljo, Marab, O'Malley, Sanhagen, Jan, Vera. Okay. <laughs> okay. Y'all catching my drift? And, and you got guys like Umar who are not even in the top 10, right? Adrian Yana is not even in the top 10, right? All right. Now check this out. Featherweight. You got you got Volk. You got Yair. You got Holloway. You got Ortega. You got Arnold Allen. You got Emmett. You got... Like you got Ilya Taporia, Sodik Yusuf. Like, come on, bro. Okay. Lightweight. We got Islam, Charles, Dustin, Justin, Benil, Faziv, Armin Sarukian, Matouch Gamra, like Drew Dober. Like, come on. All right. Welterweight. Welterweight. We got Leon, Kamaru, Colby, Hamzat, Bilal, Gilbert Durino, Shavkat, like, 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 like Jack Della. Like, come on. All right. Now, 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 now let's go to middleweight. So we got Alex and Izzy and Robert. Fantastic. Uh, Izzy, Alex, Robert. Hey, that's beautiful. But then there's like Marvin Vittori. That, that, that's a top three guy. <laughs> Stop. I, I got Jared Cannonier over Marvin Vittori. I got Sean Strickland over Marvin Vittori. I mean, I thought Roman Dolize beat Marvin Vittori. Like, so I just think, like, Marvin Vittori being a top, you know, this and that in the weight class, just go top, being a top three guy in this weight class just shows how, you know, it, it just shows how shallow middleweight is. Cause, like, look, look, look up a weight class at, at, uh, at light heavyweight, at Jamal's weight class, right? So we look at Jamal's weight class. Let's see who we got here. Um, Jamal's weight class. We got Jamal. We got Jiri. We got Magomed and Khalif. We got Blachowicz. We got Rakic. We got Krilov. Like, do you understand what I'm saying here? Heavyweight. We got Jones. We got Gan. We got Miocic. We got Pavlovich. We got Blades. We got Aspinall. Like, God, we got Jailton Almeida. Got, like what I'm trying to say is that middleweight is one of the weakest divisions. So while I don't think that Joe Pfeiffer, you know, in any other weight class would be a top 10 or a top 15 guy, here at middleweight, it's just the shallowest weight class in the sport and the least talent stacked in the sport. Don't get me wrong. The top three guys amazing but besides that it's kind of like eh, right right so but back to joe pfeiffer 
what I do like is he's a heavy hitter. He's got legit one-punch knockout power. I heard he's hard to take down. Um, he's a physical guy. I like him. Um, I just got questions, man. What happens when you go past the first round? I mean, I remember him going past the first round not too long ago against uh, against the bum, 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 bum. <laughs> you all remember that South Park reference? Uh, no, it was actually dum, 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 right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so last time he, he went past the first round, like, she was ugly. Dude, dude also lost to Dustin Stoltz with a switch. Granted, was an injury. But still, he's lost to two bums. And he's also very inexperienced. And Gerald Mearshart, here's the thing with him. It's like, <laughs> it doesn't look the prettiest. He's there to be hit. He gives up takedowns easily. but. If you're not quite as battle-tested, if you're not quite as seasoned, if you're not quite as experienced as a guy like Gerald Mershart, I mean, I'm not just talking about, like, you know, Joe Gelati or fucking Oscar Pihota or something. I'm talking about Mahmoud Muradov. I'm talking about Bruno Blundato Silva. Like, those are legit-ass wins. And Gerald made Bruno look so bad that it was like, God damn, like, like this dude just won the distance with Alex. Now, did Alex take, you know, chip a, chip a, a little bit away from um, from, um, from Bruno going into that? Possibly, possibly. But, like, if, I, if, I were to, if you would have never seen that fight and I were to tell you that Gerald fought Bruno and Alex Pereira fought Bruno, only one of them dropped Bruno. Only one of them finished Bruno. What would your guess be? Your guess would 100% be <laughs> that Alex Pereira left hook KO'd uh, Bruno Blindado. Nope. It was Gerald Mershart dropping Bruno Blindado, choking him out, putting on, putting on one of his vet performances man just like he did to Mahmoud Muradov man and uh so uh, here, here's my thing like so back to the whole talk of like I pride myself on scouting these prospects and like you know feeling like hey these guys are gonna go far I haven't gotten there with Joe Pfeiffer yet but I'm not discounting the possibility that I could be wrong and I'm also like I like I previously alluded to this is a very shallow weight class, so it doesn't take an immense skill level to, to, to make it at the top of middleweight. So maybe Joe does it anyways. The thing is, like, if Joe isn't able to badly hurt Mershart, which Mershart's been hurt in a lot of fights, <laughs> been finished plenty of times, but if he's not able to do that, I think the longer the fight progresses, that uh, Gerald can start to mix in that big body kick. His hands are deceptively powerful, too, because... They come from weird angles. If you can just tighten up his defense a little bit, um, take this guy to deep waters and, and let me see what's up. Let, and then let's start getting those those uh, the choke series getting the, the the choke series going. And from there, you never know. So I think it's a dogger pass situation. I'll, I'll pick I'll pick Gerald because like, I, I, again, I really respect Dana and their ability to scout prospects and guys that they think have these high trajectories and these guys that they think are going to go really far in the sport so i'm happy be if i'm wrong on this uh take like it's all good like like I, I i'm cool being wrong on this it's just going into it kind of trusting my gut 
I'm not convinced Joe Pfeiffer is that guy. I think that Joe Pfeiffer on his first fight, uh, his second fight on Contender Series, every single fight on that card sucks. So the fact that Joe Pfeiffer got a knockout, they're 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 hyping him up, you know, be Joe Pfeiffer. But it's like, had that been on a card where every single fight was exciting, I don't think the praise would have been nearly as much. And also, this ain't Alan Amadovsky anymore. We were talking about Jay Perrin. Shit, I don't. Well, actually, I think Alan Amadovsky would beat Jay Perrin's ass. But, but my point is, Alan Amadovsky is also kind of on the lower totem pole. So, yeah, I, I'm gonna go with Gerald here. Contingent on a few things, but I'll, I'll go Gerald. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between Carl Williams, who's eight and one, taking on Chase Sherman, who's sixteen and eleven. Currently, they got it. Carl Williams. <clears throat> minus 410 the comeback on Shea Sherman plus 310 I mean I think we understand the dynamic here it's a short notice fight for Carl Williams but he has a big edge in the wrestling we've seen Shea Sherman get taken down multiple times whether it was against Romanov whether it was against Jay Collier doesn't respond the best also big time gasser people are talking about how Carl Williams was gassing his last fight he was still hitting suplexes when he was gassed whereas Chase Sherman has a history of after round one, he falls off a cliff badly. And shout out to my dog, uh, Joe Sunsu, who talked about how like fading Chase Sherman is like one of the most profitable investments. And he even said something along the lines of like, you'll get a better return than you would on Wall Street or some shit like that. So like, yeah, the price sucks on Carl. So it's a pass for me. But you know, I'm gonna pick ATL's own Carl Williams to come out here and expose this guy's wrestling. So let's see. Now, next up in the strawweight division, we got a matchup between Cynthia Calvillo. She's nine and five, taking on Lupita Godinez, who is eight and three. Currently, they got it. Lupita Godinez minus three hundred. The comeback on Cynthia Calvillo is plus two fifty. So, yeah, this is interesting because it's like Cynthia Calvillo. At one point, I don't know if y'all recall. Like, like, like I don't know if y'all recall. Uh, her first few UFC fights where she was submitting everybody. Dana White was saying that this this is uh, his new Ronda Rousey. Um, Cynthia Calvillo, she had that that Carlos Count that, that Carlos Condit um, scowl. You know, like I don't know how to do it, but they do it better than me. <laughs> like she was out here fucking doing her thing for a while, and. She won her main event against Jessica I, but ever since then just hasn't looked the same, man. You know, she's about to turn 36. And, and it's not just about the age and this. It, it, it's more so like, you know, these last three fights, man. Like, okay, it's one thing to get stopped in the first round by Jessica Andrade, one of the hardest hitters. Okay, we'll give you a pass there, right? But, uh. Moyes, very good point. And just give me a second. I'm going to address that because I actually, I'll address it. Just give me a sec. Um, so the Andrea Lee quitting on the stool between rounds. Look, live to fight another another day, of course. All I'm saying is that a few years ago, like you would have had to kill Cynthia Calvillo. She was that dog. She was that shark. And then the Nina Nunes fight was, seemed like two old ladies going out there and Nina retired after the fight. So I, I just think that you know Cynthia's kind of on her way out, and uh, but I want to bring this up. 
So Moyes brought up when I saw Calvillo transition from Anaconda to rear naked choke versus uh, Amanda Bobby Brundage, I was blown away, dude. Yes, that is so beautiful, and that's one thing. Like um, all the ladies on my team, I've sent them all this, that the clip of that video because I think that that's something that they can absolutely um, implement into their game um, because you don't see transitions like that Anaconda to back take to rear naked choke. Like that shit was beautiful, man. So, yeah, so for sure, um, I mean, that's what she was capable of back in her day, you know? Um, she was mean. Her transitions, you loved it. It's just, she's, I'm just not convinced that she's into it anymore, period. And Lupita Godinez, listen, she still has some growing pains to go through, has some tough fights, this and that. But, like, stylistically speaking, I do think that she would throw the bigger bomb standing. Um, it's just if she takes her down, which I hope she does because she's a wrestler, like, what are we expecting from Cynthia Offer back? Are we expecting Uma Plata's? Are we expecting arm bars? Are we expecting, you know, intercept the takedown with a guillotine, a Dars, the anaconda to the back take, like, like we were just talking about, right? Like, what are we expecting here? But basically, I'm just expecting one fighter who is hungrier, who's not thinking about retirement, who's thinking about just patching up parts of her game, leveling up, taking it to the next level versus someone who, I mean, she loses this fight and Calvillo, that is, and it's over. So, yeah, I mean, maybe a few years ago you take this line, but 2023, I'm good. And uh, for that reason, my pick is Lupi Godinez. Just kind of out physical her a little bit. Um. Okay, now, next up in a 160-pound catchweight, we got a matchup between Trey Ogden. He's 16-5. and five. He's taking on Ignacio Baamondes, who was 13-4, representing Chile. Currently, they got it. Ignacio, minus 350. The comeback on Trey Ogden is plus 275. So, full disclosure, I... Uh, Lost on uh, Daniel Zell, Zell Huber against Trey Ogden. And, you know, I think a lot of people understood that it wasn't really about what Trey did right, more about what Ignacio did wrong. Uh, um, not Ignacio. Um, the fuck's this, this dude's fucking name? Um, Daniel Zell Huber. Yeah. Um, he just pulled a debut stunt. I mean, it's not like... It, Trey put up some amazing numbers. I mean, he had a little baby leg kicks, landed a takedown, dude popped right back up. It's just the output wasn't there for Zell Huber. Zell Huber's fighting next week. I'm giving him a second chance because I just thought it was a debut stunt. But Trey Ogden, you got to give him credit. He's a seasoned vet. He's been around the block. He's paid his dues. He's very analytical. Um, if you hear his interviews, he's got the shit down to a science. He studies his opponents well. He went through a lot on that last weight cut because, you know, he's supposed to fight Manuel Torres uh, two weeks ago. Um, but there was an issue. Um, they weren't able to fight. Um, and, and he had to make the cut to 55. But now two weeks later, they let him go up to 160, let him cut a little less weight. But basically, I mean, Trey is just a seasoned journeyman. You know, he's just a tough, solid journeyman, man. Decent leg kicks, not the hardest. Decent punches, not the hardest opportunistic takedowns. He's got a nasty guillotine. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. 
Um, it's just when punches start getting involved, I'm not sure what level his jujitsu is on. Um, and then with Ignacio, I think he's been a talent and a phenom this entire time, man. Um, and people talking about, well, Trey's the wrestler here. How is Ignacio going to deal with the wrestling? I mean, bro, Ignacio trains with Bilal Muhammad every day, who's a fucking not only a 10 times better wrestler than Trey, 10 times better fighter than Trey, 10 times just like, come on. Bro, don't even compare the two. Like, one's a fight away from a title shot. One's a fight away from being cut from the UFC, right? So, um, yeah, I think Ignacio chops him down with the low kicks. You know, starts getting him to think about the attacks going low and start to go upstairs, sprawl on some takedowns, and maybe even, like I talked about, uh, Trey's guillotine. Don't don't, don't forget about uh, Ignacio's long man shows. This boy is six foot three. Uh, he's got some nice little chokes in his game too. And uh yeah, and also it's funny, his fight um against uh Zhurong, right? I made a joke. I said something among the lines of like, if you thought a guy that missed weight by <laughs> five pounds and dyed his hair pink is beating Ignacio Bahamandes in a fight, then I'm sorry, my friend, but Zhurong, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, dog? So yeah, I got I gotta go Ignacio Bahamandes the striking clinic on this kid show that you're leveling up you're training with the right people you're ready for this fight and just don't let him get off on his vet tactics man and you should be able to come out here and win this one so yeah i, I like ignacio here um uh, next up in the featherweight division this is one of the tougher ones uh, we got steve garcia he's 13 and 5 taking on shailan nerd on becky who's 39 and 10 currently they got it Shailan minus 210. The comeback on minus 220. The comeback on Steve is plus 180. So, well, uh, Shailan's not going to be participating in a fixed fight anymore, dude. Okay, so <laughs> when I <laughs> so two hours before the Shailan versus Derek Minner fight happened, right? And you see the massive like $2 line move, and you're like, yo, like that's already like kind of sus. Like, yo, what the fuck is going on here, right? Um, and then the fight starts, and like I felt so dirty watching that. I literally felt like, wow, I just watched a fixed fight. Like that is disgusting. Oh, man, should I get into the Jeff Molina rant or not? Because I know people are going to take it the wrong way. But like I kind of feel like I, this is a good time to go on the Jeff Molina rant. Should I do it or should I, should I just leave it, you know, and, and spare my reputation, which is crazy. Um, but all right, fuck it. Look, so <laughs> I don't know if y'all heard some of the shit that went down with this Jeff Molina, James Krause, all that. But so word on the street is that Derek knew he was going to throw the fight. James knew he was going to throw the fight. I'll throw the fight rather um and all this stuff right and uh so jeff molina so i got a uh, taylor just post that uh in the chat here um so i don't have to go back to twitter but um okay so basically like all the line movement was extremely sketchy you mix that in the fact that james kraus was not only tied into these guys, was heavily tied into the betting game. I mean, facts. He 
You know, he had his betting podcast, he had his syndicate, he had all this thing, all these things, right? So there's the investigation going on, right? And, uh, you know, people are talking about how, you know, well, we don't have proof or whatever. It's, we got a lot of proof. I mean, I've heard from inside people that know, like, the risk managers at sports books that know, like, that are in in with the books telling me that, like, hey, they pulled up some of these guys' accounts and they saw them steaming uh, Shailan. They saw them steaming the round one prop, the round one KO, the under one and a half, the inside the disc. Like, all those just got fucking blown out by these specific guys. So Jeff Molina, his account being one of them, you know, we, we saw what you did, buddy. You're under a federal investigation. But because a video leaked of uh, <laughs> Jeff Molina, you know, sucking dick, um, which I, I don't have an issue with. I mean, do you, bro? Like, who gives a fuck? Like, I like hot chicks. You like dudes. There's no reason we can't coexist. Like, I can't help what I like. You can't help what you like. So who gives a shit? Like, be you, bro. Do you? Love is love. I don't give a shit. But... <sighs> What I think is fucking absolutely hilarious is how all these, you know, woke ass fucking white knight media members trying to let, let let's just take the fact that this guy, Molina, tried to compromise the integrity of the sport by participating in a fixed fight. Let's just sweep that under the rug because the guy was sucking dick. So apparently apparently if you're gay you get a pass for fixing fights now before anyone even tries to remotely make a categorically false argument that i'm homophobic which like no i'm not like i train at a very diverse gym like let's just i live a very diverse life like in terms of like my family's from all over the world. My friends are from all over the world. Seen them all. Like, I don't have an issue. If you're a cool person, do what you want to do. Even, even the dudes that dress like women, like, yeah, like, you know, don't bring that around my son. But like, I'm I don't think you should be arrested. I think you should fucking do it. Do you do what makes you happy? Whoever you want to date, be you. Like, yeah, it might not be my style, but like, I don't give a shit. I'm not gonna tell you what to do. No. Don't tell me what to do, right? But the fact that these media members are calling Jeff Molina a role model, a trailblazer, because you you came out the closet and, and, and you're using that as a mask over your involvement in fixing fights, so now you get a pass? So basically, oh, yeah, good point. This is all allegedly. All allegedly, so don't even all allegedly talking, right? Um, like, so I can go like commit a crime, but if I tell someone I'm gay, I get a pass. That that that's where we're at in 2023. <laughs> and guys, don't take that the wrong way too, because like, I don't give a flying fuck if he's, you know, I don't give a fuck if he's sucking dick. I don't give a shit what he does. Do do you, bro? Like, I I don't give a shit. Like. You know, 
I like women. You like men. No big deal. Like, I really don't care. I support your right to get married. I support all your legal rights. All good. The point I'm trying to make is why is this guy, why are we all of a sudden taking him being involved in, in fight fixing and we're, we're, you know, we're brushing it under the rug because he's gay. Now, 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 now he's a hero. Now he's a role model. Now, now it doesn't even fucking matter that he was involved in, in, in compromising the integrity of the sport, fixing a fight. Like that was disgusting, dude. Like, I don't care if you're straight doing that. I don't care if you're gay doing that. I don't care if you're fucking white, black, Muslim, Jewish, like whatever, bro. The fact that you were involved in, you know, fixing fights, like we're supposed to give you a pass just because you're gay. Like what? Like, dude, go, go marry a dude. I have zero issue with that. Like be you like do your thing, man. Like I really do not give a fuck. I have no issue with someone being attracted to who they're naturally attracted to. Like I said, I'm naturally, it's not my fault that I like very attractive women. So it'd be a completely asshole thing of me to say, to hold it against someone for who they're attracted to. I can't tell someone what to be attracted to. My thing is you're, you're, you're trying to pull the wool over our eyes and try to act like, oh, he gets a free, he gets, he, he gets a, <laughs> exactly rob a bank. But if I say I'm gay, then it's all good. Like you're trying to pull the wool over our eyes to a ser a serious fucking thing he did fixing a fight but because he's gay oh now he's a role model now he gets a free pass fuck that bro fuck that okay anyways so back to Shailan nerd on Becky don't hold that shit against him he wasn't in on it he didn't know his opponent was going to go down to the first strike so <laughs> Big Bird said, my only issue is that I didn't get the leak on Minter. You know what I'm saying, Doc? <laughs> um, but back to this. Shailan Nordambekov, he's been he's been around the game a long time, man. I mean, this is his 50th pro fight that that we know of, right? He's and he's a very physical guy. He'll come out brawling early, and as the fights start to slow down, then that's when he's going to start to mix in his takedowns, start to hold you down. And with Steve Garcia, man, very tall for featherweight, excuse me, very tall for featherweight, six feet tall with a 73-inch reach. Ah, fuck, excuse me. Um, 70. <laughs> yeah, oh, man, I got the hiccups at the perfect time. So Steve Garcia, very tall for the weight class, kind of wild with his strikes, but he's been around the game a very long time. I mean, this is a guy that actually has a win um, over Ronnie Lawrence, who is a pretty badass wrestler for MMA. Um, so here it's about, like, I think the physicality of Shailan is his biggest kind of, you know, asset going in here. And I think kind of the more volume, the more wild strikes, the length, the kind of just 
chaotic uh, approach of Steve Garcia's his path. So this is one where I'm not really sure. So when I'm not really sure, I'll lean with the dog at this price. Like, like, do y'all think that Shailan's going to just control him for three rounds um, or two, or two of the three rounds? Like, if so, like, because I need to see more evidence of. So I, the evidence I have of Steve Garcia getting controlled was in the Luis Pena fight. Um, but that's more of Leo Luis Pena, six foot three. So he's able to get him in that body lock and the body triangle. Uh, you know, Shailan, I don't think he's anywhere remotely close to six, three, he's five foot eight. So, you know, it's just, yeah, it is a tough one to call. Cause I just don't know. I'll lean Steve Garcia last, but not least in the strawweight division. we got a matchup between Jacqueline Amarim, who's six and oh, taking on Sam Hughes, who's seven and five. Currently, they got it. Jacqueline Amarine, she's minus 250, taking on Sam Hughes, who's plus 190. So what, what, what's interesting about this is that Jacqueline Amarine, she's a legitimate world champion black belt in jiu-jitsu. So already her credentials are on point. And, you know, she's ran through every single person she's fought on her regional scene, whether it's one-punch knockout powers, whether it's uh, one-punch knockouts, whether it's arm bars, whether it's this, whether it's that. She's ran through them all. I guess, you know, my if I have to nitpick, she kind of does shoot kind of from a mile out and this and that. But when she finally gets you down, she gets you down, and her black belt is super legit. And this with Sam Hughes is like – so my initial issues with her is that, like, her – she just didn't have that, like, sense of urgency. She was just kind of, like, timid in a vast majority of these fights um but like she's got cardio and like you start to gas out on her that's when she kind of can take over um but she also gives up a lot of takedowns like if we're going to pull up the numbers she gave up five takedowns versus uh Pereira Rodriguez um she gave up two versus Luana she gave up four versus Loma Luke Bumi who was not a grappler she gave up one versus Tisha so she's given up a shit ton of takedowns and it might only take one with Jacqueline Amarine, considering her jujitsu pedigree. Um, so, yeah, while I do think that there will come a time to fade Jacqueline, you know, she's never been in there with a legit opponent. All her fights have been smooth sailing, 100%. It's just that Sam Hughes is very easy to be taken down. Sam Hughes can get into these low-volume fights. She's very hesitant sometimes occasionally you'll see her finer groove you know if you're quite not on the level and you start to fatigue as the fights uh you know progress then sam hughes can have some success but i see this being a spot where you know jacqueline amarine probably submits uh sam hughes and then down the line we can talk about fading amarine you know when she actually gets a real i mean this is actually a step up but i'm saying like a real step up like Sam Hughes is like bottom, bottom of the barrel uh, of this weight class. Um, so once she gets a little step up, then we'll consider the fade. But for here, I think Jacqueline is going to, uh, Jacqueline is going to do her thing, come out here and uh, submit her. So yeah, I'm going to go Jacqueline on Marine. All right, everybody do me a huge favor. Smash the like button, hit the subscribe button. I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. And then I'm down to answer any questions. And then after that, we'll get out of here. And if uh dude that was, Saying all that stuff about Perrin wants to come in here. Um, there, there's the link in the in the chat. So you just come on here side by side. Let's chop it up. Um, fight to watch. 
fight to watch is Kevin Holland versus Santiago Ponsonibio. This is actually a, a crossroads fight for both fights, man. I mean, when you're talking about Kevin Holland, I mean, he just retired after his Chimaya fight, came back, took a fucking massive ass whooping against uh, Wonder Boy, but we know the kind of potential and we know the kind of athletic gifts and we've seen his finishing ability along the way. With Santiago Ponzinibbio, um, Santiago Ponzinibbio, man, he was so close to getting that title shot. He almost died. Um, then he came back, hasn't quite looked the same, but maybe now he's starting to get his groove back a little bit. If he can make this a battle of wills and a battle of hearts, he is absolutely live here. The only issue is his durability has been diminishing. We know that Holland's very dangerous early. So for that reason, Holland versus Ponzinibbio is the fight to watch. That's a very intriguing matchup. And my fighter to watch is Adrian Yanez, man. I mean, I think that some people have a hard time accepting these new prospects and people start making these ridiculous arguments about how like, um, uh, about how like, well, he's never faced anybody like this guy. And it's like, well, had Francis and Ganu ever fought anybody like, uh, like Alistair Overeem before he knocked him out. Like they're called steps up in competition. Had Jamal ever fought anyone like Glover before he fought him? No, it's called step up in competition. And this is called rising to the occasion. So I can't stand it when people are, are like, oh, he's only fought Tony Kelly and fucking Gustavo, whatever. It's like, bro, like that's irrelevant. This is a step up. Can he rise to the occasion? Because if he does, Watch out, because this is a guy to look out for. Very fan, very fan friendly style. Knockouts. He's just he's a nice guy. Um, hard, hard not to root for. Adrian Yanez is my fighter to watch. All right, so I'm down to answer some fan questions. Last call, and then Leo, what are you doing, bro? Huh? This guy's this guy's always when that, so whenever I'm doing my podcast, Leo he likes to mess with me. He'll start like biting my feet or trying to take my shoe to try to get me to laugh, and I'll have to like hold my composure and do all these things. But anyways, last call for questions. I'm gonna scroll up to the top. Y'all leave me some questions. Um, I'm also gonna repost a link one last time. So if Buddy wants to come in here, go side by side with me and make your points about why Jay Perrin's a future world champion. Um, let's do it. You know. Um, so stop that. Stop that. Stop that. All right. So leave it, leave it, leave it. Sorry. This, this motherfucker is like trying to eat my mic cords and shit. I can't allow that to happen. Leo, leave it. So let's see what we got here. Um, got my boy Marcus locked in at my bookstore. I appreciate you, fam. Y'all make sure y'all check out my boy, the Nubian bookstore in Atlanta. Marcus, let's get together. Let's get me, you, Cody Durden, oh Jared Gooden, Robert Hill, some of the other guys. Like, let's all get together and go to lunch or dinner sometime, bro. I'd love to, man. Um, let's see. To Jeek. What's up, man? Um, let's go, Dan. I appreciate that, bro. Um, Alex said he's checking in a little late. Well, we appreciate you checking in general, bro. We're doing great. 
Um, what up, stud? What up, Cope? My boy Cope, cool ass dude, known him a long time. Um, <laughs> my boy Danny liked the the pronunciation of Rob Font, Hobby Font. You know, you know how we get down in Brazil. That brave shirt, you already know, dog. Hey, my braves have been coming out, swinging out the gates this year. God damn, things you love to see. That you know what I'm fucking saying. Um. Let's see, let's see. Oh, shit, VCR uh, repairman. It's good to see you back in here. He said, I didn't run to the window to bet Jay Perrin. I walked. <laughs> hey, you, you walked so we could run. I appreciate that, bro. Um, <laughs> Benjamin said, Dan, minus 130 versus Perrin. Uh, in in jujitsu, it might be a little higher than that, bro. Especially with the Gion. Um C Rod is more tested. I agree. I mean he was in there with JSP. Uh just apologize. Just apologies in advance that I wasn't able to get to all these because y'all left me a bunch of awesome questions. And I'm just grateful that, you know, we've been able to grow this. And my boy Dan said barking dog means action man's a lock. All right, all right, I feel that. I feel that. Yeah, some of y'all's comments are hilarious, man. So I'm just scrolling through here. Um, Danny, Donnie said Calvillo really is a shell of herself and doesn't handle pressure well. This is this is uh, correct. Um, all right, I don't know if there's anything else I need to say. Y'all, y'all been giving me some great... Big Bird said, how is Shaq doing? Hope he is doing well. Always loved hearing him on the podcast. Um, yeah, you know, um, I, I wish him nothing but the best. And, you know, he was a, a great part of the show. And you know, I'm grateful for our, our time together on this show and beyond that. So, yeah, I wish Shaq nothing but the best, man. And I hope he's doing well. Cashbag says, salute, Dan. Keep the money coming in. I appreciate that, my dog. Um, my love, Desita said, "Is this parlay safe enough, or should I add or remove something?" Ignacio money line, Williams money line, Burns money line, Raul Rosas money line, Raul Rosas by Silver Devitz. I mean, bro, when you got that many legs, it's not safe. <laughs> it's not safe at all. But I mean, don't put too much, don't don't put too anything too crazy on it, and just have a little fun. All right. I think we got someone wanting to come in here and talk to me. Uh, are you there, buddy? Um, showed your face a second ago on 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 the backstage. Oh, there you are. What's up, Taylor? What's up, dude? How's it going? Oh, dude, living the dream, living the dream. How about yourself? Absolutely, man. Tell me, tell me what's going on. All right, so I put your uh, stat as per requested on. Man, this phone. Forgive me, I'm on my phone. Um, I might have to exit out. I'm going to do a little mic check and uh, you're good, bro. We can, we can hear you. Oh, you can, if I exit out to this. Well, now you're gone. <laughs> Come back in, bro. 
Okay. So I'll just uh, jump out real quick and give you the number. So. All right. So he's about to fill us in with a little stat. So let's see. Let's see what this stat is all about. And by the way, this is not the guy that I invited earlier that was saying that uh, that Jay Perrin's a future pound for pound goat. I'm still I'm still waiting for him to join here, man. Let me know what's up, bro. Let's talk, man. Like we don't have to insult each other. Let's just hear each other out. Sometimes things get taken out of context through text and typing and all that. Yeah. Go Braves. So, what, what's so up? many notes. So many notes. So uh All right, let's I'm not hear it. Sure. Let, let's hear it. Come but on. basically it looks like only two, three, two. Two champs have, or wait, hold on a second. All right, bro. This is that last chance. We can't leave the, the fans hanging, man. So let's get it together. He's going to give me some good uh, info on, like, the champs that lost their belt coming back and all that stuff. So, Okay. So only one who has lost via KO or TKO currently has ever regained their belt back. After two or more defenses, and that's Stipe Miocic. Stipe, Stipe. Yep. Nobody else. All right. So and basically, two others come to mind for submission losses, just off the top of my head. After briefly looking over, because it's a long list. Figueredo, if you want to count him, because there's a little gray area because a draw in there, and then uh, Nunes. So three champs that I can think of that have been finished and come back for immediate rematches that have won out of 42 champs that have had more than two titled two or more consecutive title defenses. Nice. Nice. Okay. So basically the only guy to ever come back from being knocked out to lose his belt and then regain it is Stipe. Correct. And what did I say? Five or six out of the two or 42. If you want to call it 42 champs that have had uh, two or more consecutive title defenses, only what six that have lost it, not vacated, but lost it have come back and regained it. So percent chance, you know, do what you want with that mathematically, but just interesting. Been bored. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you, uh, bringing that to the table, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Be good, man. Be good. Appreciate Lik it. Likewise. Take care, buddy. That, that, that's pretty cool to know that like only one guy that's lost his belt via knockout has been able to successfully come back and reclaim it and that was stipe and two fights later he got knocked out uh by francis so nothing great lasts forever but guys thank you all so much for being here uh for me with me please smash the like button hit the subscribe button when this is over leave me a comment and then also feel free to share all that stuff truly means a lot to me and let's keep growing the show let's cash these bets and uh and uh, and Droid asked me thoughts on WWE being acquired. I mean, cool. Just gonna fighters' pay is gonna go up. Uh, more exposure. I mean, it's not like we're gonna like pe people were like making it seem like they're gonna have shows with the octagon here and the wrestling cage, uh, the wrestling uh, ring here, and they're gonna go back and forth. Like that's not what's gonna happen, guys. Um, it's just that the parenting company that owns one just bought the other, so. It's not going to affect us as far as I'm concerned. But, guys, thank you guys so, so much for everything. Truly appreciate it. 
Y'all can follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Subscribe to Half the Battle everywhere podcasts are found. Um, I will have a new series coming out called Technique of the Week, where I'm going to be showing some jujitsu techniques. Not on, not during this show. This is Half the Battles, the fight breakdown, something separate. It's just you know on a different day of the week, just to give you all a little extra content. Um, even if you don't train jujitsu, maybe it'll help you understand certain positions um and the intricacies of them and whatnot or it's just entertaining whatever the deal is letting y'all know dropping that soon so (laughs) uh this comment's hilarious he said technique of the week episode one jeff molina oh man y'all gotta y'all gotta chill but but guys seriously thanks so much for everything truly appreciate it smash the like hit the subscribe when this is over leave me that comment feel free to share Tell a friend. And uh, until the next time, let's cash these bets.